Titus incident. Yeah, it's gonna go one way or the other. Good morning, everybody. Let's stand and sing together. I want to read Job 19.25. It says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand on the earth. And I wanted to read that this morning because, you know, this is the last day of 2023, and whatever happened in 2023 is, whether good or bad, it, it's over. And as we enter... <laughs> And as we enter into 2024, let's go in it knowing that no matter what happens in 2024, our Redeemer lives, and in the end, He will stand on the earth. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's sing together. Let's praise Him this morning.
We give you glory today, Jesus, in your name, amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Great Commission Church. So glad that you're here. If you are a guest, we want to know who you are. We want to get into your life a little bit today. So we have ministry cards in your seats. Fill out as much as you feel comfortable with. We, probably, we won't show up at your door unannounced or anything. We just want to know a little bit about you. Um, and if you have a prayer request, please fill that out. We, we love to be praying for you. The staff will pray for every single one of these ministry cards um, during our staff meeting. The elders pray. Church, you know the drill. We love praying for you. So please fill those out. And in the meantime right now, let's turn to each other. Let's be friendly and say hello. Sin. Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains My orphan heart was given to me. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began.
criminal's cross Darkness rejoices, oh heaven at last Come on, lift your voices up and sing this But then Jesus arose with our freedom in our King? Me too. Amen. Glory to God. You all can have a seat. Glory to God. I'm so glad that you came today. I'm Trevor Davis. I'm GCC's pastor. And Pastor Jacob is gonna, going to preach in my uh, stead today when we get to the sermon time, giving me a, a week off. But I am going to officiate the Lord's Supper now and give us just a devotional thought about that momentarily. First thing I want to tell you is uh, we have first Wednesday for January, this Wednesday. It's going to be big and important. And we're going to, we're going to be introducing our new sermon series and our new church-wide campaign called 29 Days of Promise. Where there's a, there's a notebook, a journal for that. It's going to be fantastic. And I'm going to take the next five Sundays and, and take one of God's promises each week that he's made to us, preach about that, teach us, and we get to just kind of bask in the glory that, that God keeps his promises and they're all good for us. And so be here Wednesday night to learn about that, and that starts next Sunday. And then after that series ends, I'm going to do three Sundays on the Lord's Supper. 
The, the interesting thing about that is there are four accounts of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, and so I can only do three in that series, so I'm going to give you the streamlined version of the first one today as we get ready to come to the table of the Lord and participate in the fellowship meal together. And so Matthew has the Lord's Supper account, so does Mark, so does Luke, and so does Paul in 1 Corinthians. Grace at the king's table in Matthew is about Jesus being king. It's become a cliche, but all cliches get that way because there's a measure of truth in them. And did you know that 25% of the New Testament references to the word king, kingdom, and reign are all in Matthew's gospel pointing to Jesus Christ. And so not only... Does Matthew talk about Jesus being king over and over again? But do you remember how Jesus introduced the last thing he ever said in Matthew's gospel? We named our whole church after that little paragraph. It's called the Great Commission. But it's easy to speed past the first phrase. Here's what he said. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so that means that, that there's no one more powerful in heaven than Jesus. And there's no one more powerful on earth than Jesus. He truly is the king over every king. So the question is, in Matthew's Lord's Supper account, we know this. As we're reading the Lord's Supper in Matthew, Jesus predicts his crucifixion and his death. And do you know what the charge was at his crucifixion and his death? He's the king of the Jews. So Jesus is the king, and if Matthew emphasizes the kingship of Jesus... How do we understand his Lord's Supper account in light of him being king? Let me give you two answers to that question. First, did you know that kingship in the Bible is not really about power? It's more about serving. That's what God meant for his kings to be, servants. And so when he lays out the guidelines, the Lord, about what his kings will be like in Deuteronomy, here's what he said. He, he said, you guys are not to multiply three things when you become king. You're not to amass three things. You are not to amass horses. You're not to multiply wives. You're not to multiply gold. Now, what are the significance of those things? Well, pretty simple. If you multiply horses, it makes you stronger militarily. If you multiply wives, you're always marrying the daughter of the king of the kingdom next door, so it makes you more powerful politically. And if you multiply gold, it makes you more powerful economically. And here's what God said to his kings. If you do all those things, you won't trust me. And so my kings won't be about power. They'll be about serving. And we learned about that in 1 Samuel. You see, at God's initiative, his kings would be king because they delivered their people by offering themselves first and then they begin to reign. And there's no better example of that than that well-known Bible story of David killing Goliath. David was a teenage boy. Goliath was the grownest man you've ever heard about. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. And for 40 days, he challenges Yahweh's armies and his men. And, and, and nobody has the courage to face this man because he's twice their size and twice as mean as they are. Young teenage David gets there and says, you don't get to talk about my God like that. And whether it costs me my life, I'm willing to give it in honor of the king. And so David offers himself first. He risks himself first, and then he begins to reign. Why does that matter? 
Because my brothers and my sisters, when Jesus is sitting around the table at the Lord's Supper in the upper room that night, surrounded by 12 apostles, it's there that he offers himself first. He offers his body on the cross. He offers his blood of the new covenant to be shed. And he tells them that to their faces. And then he says, after that, that's when I'll reign. You know what that means? When we come to this table today, brothers and sisters, it's the table of a suffering ruler. It's not the feast of the powerful. So kingship's not really about power. It's about serving. And number two, the best part, this king welcomes failures to his table. You read about the Lord's Supper account in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 30. They make the meat of the sandwich. You see, before the Lord's Supper, there's a story, and after the Lord's Supper, there's a story. The first story, the first account, Matthew 26, 21 to 25, he's sitting at the same table with all 12 apostles, including Judas, and he predicts at that table right there in front of everybody that Judas will betray him. It's a failure. Then he institutes the meal and says, celebrate with me this new covenant. And then when the meal's over, he looks at all of them again in Matthew 26, verses 31 to 35, and he predicts that everyone sitting around him will abandon him and leave him. And then he says to Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Failure, the supper, and failure. You see, even though Jesus knew ahead of time that all of his disciples would fail him when he needed them the most, he still did not expel them from the table. He still was master over the meal, and he still said, here, eat and drink with me. Why did he do that? Because the Lord's Supper is connected to the new covenant that God has for believers, and the new covenant that God has for us, this agreement we have, this relationship we have, has never been about human performance. It's never been about, for you to come to this table, you need to be really obedient to the Lord this week, and if not, you should stay in your seat. That's not the gospel. That's terrible news. The gospel is that God has done everything needed for us to have a relationship with him, and we come to the table to celebrate it because he welcomes failures. It, if you read in the gospels, Jesus always seemed to prefer the company of sinners instead of the self-righteous. Even in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So it appears, my brothers and my sisters, that, that this king prefers those who fail over those who succeed. And those are the ones he calls to the fellowship of the suffering ruler so that afterwards they can participate in the fellowship of the triumphant king. These are our thoughts as we come to this table today. We come to the table of a king who served us and who welcomes failures to the table. So the only ones worthy in the Bible to come to the Lord's table are the ones who are unworthy. Jesus sat around tax collectors and fishermen and blue-collar guys, and all, all, group, all of those groups abandon him, deny him, and betray him. These are the ones he invites to the Lord's table.
Is that good news? I think it's good news. Let's bow for prayer, and as I pray, the ushers and the elders will come and get us ready to participate in the Lord's Supper. Father, our hearts are humbled today to think about Matthew's message of the Lord's Supper in his gospel in context. And so I pray, God, that that holy reverence, that poor in spirit heart would be in all of us who believe as we come to the table today. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's who the table's for. It's for those who believe in the Lord, those failures who Jesus has saved, if you've been baptized. Now, if you, if you belong to another church and you have a conviction about, hey, I only, I only observe the Lord's Supper at my church, I kind of share that conviction, and you're perfectly uh, fine to, to, to sit and observe us. But if you want to come to the table, everybody that Jesus invites to the table, we invite. If you have young children that have yet to be baptized, let them come with you, withhold the elements, so you can preach the gospel to them and they can be saved. Amen.
Let's stand and continue worshiping our King with some more songs.
singing about the glorious work of the cross of Christ. We're so grateful for what he's done. Sing about that old rugged cross.
thank you for the cross and what that means for our eternity and we are so grateful in Jesus name amen y'all can have a seat amen hey, I'm Jacob associate pastor here I'll be preaching this morning show of hands who is going to make it till midnight tonight all right oh not as many as I thought who plans on making it to midnight but realizes they're actually going to fall asleep any other? okay you guys are going to try okay Put forth the effort. Who just embraces the, I ain't doing that, I'm going to bed. Who's that? Where's that, where's that crowd? There you go. There you go. Okay. Wonderful. Hey, I am excited. I love the New Year's. I love the turning, turning of the page to a, a new year, the fresh start. I always end up, um, I love doing things like getting a new Bible. Um, you know, I know some folks like to carry on the same Bible and get it real ratty. I like a crisp new Bible with pages are still stuck together, so I get to crack that open and I love New Year's resolutions and goal setting and all of that great stuff. And, and I'll tell you what, 2023 was, was one of the, the best years for me spiritually and just being a part of this church and seeing where we're going and how Trevor's been leading us through uh, just reaching out to the lost. I, I'm so excited and I know 2024 is going to be even bigger and better and I'm, and I'm convinced we're going to tell more people about Jesus in 2024. We're going to see more people baptized in 2024. We're going to increase our kingdom impact in 2024. Um, and I don't know about you, but I really want to be a part of that. And not just a little part. I want to be a big part of that. I want to... Uh, be completely available to whatever the Lord wants of me. If someone wants, if God wants me to share the gospel with someone randomly, some, I want to be there. I want to be ready. And so today I'm considering 
the last day of the year, kind of a train the army day. The army is the church. I want to give you guys a simple tool that you can use um, if anyone asks you what the gospel is. So that's the plan for today that we're going to do. And this particular gospel presentation, Randy says this. He, he always says, uh, I like your way of presenting the gospel better than the way that no one uses kind of thing. So it's almost the idea of whatever method you have, get real good at it and use it because it's better than the method that no one uses. And so this one I like particularly because there's four images. It's super basic, super simple. And these images are almost like stopping points. And I really need this because I'm a very visual learner. Um, these four images help my ADHD mind stay on track so I know exactly where I need to be going and, and where I've been. Because I have a really bad habit of starting a conversation that's very on purpose with one topic and then all of a sudden I end up in this like, deep conversation about the five reasons Taco Bell is not actually a Mexican restaurant. And now we're debating this. I'm like, what do we even start here? How do I bring this back to Jesus? The images help me stay on track. And so I think they'll do serve you well also. Does anyone else have a random ADHD mind? And here's kind of what I'm talking about. A few, okay, okay. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Here's what I'm talking about. You're exhausted at the end of a long day. You think, I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to get some rest. I'm already falling asleep on the couch. You're about to doze off. And then all of a sudden your mind starts asking you questions that you just don't have the answer to. So you have to get your phone and start Googling. And now you're down a bunny trail and it's 1 a.m. And you're like, what just happened? All right? Are you there? Like, why do I close my eyes when I sneeze? And what would happen if I could actually keep them open if I sneezed? Or where does my hair grow from, and why is the hair on my head different than my eyelashes and eyebrows, and, and how does it know when to stop and how to stop? Or, this one gets me every time, ladies and gentlemen, how do my lungs keep breathing even when I don't think about it? Because then when I start thinking about it, it becomes hard to breathe. I saw you all take a deep breath because you're thinking about breathing now, and it'll mess you up for a while. You're thinking, oh gosh, did I just miss a breath? Am I causing... Are right, you there with me? And right at this moment, and I'll tell you, anytime my ADHD brain starts asking these questions, I always end up with thinking, man, God is an amazing creator. Because right at this moment, your liver and your kidneys and your heart and your saliva glands, all the things are working and keeping your body going, and you can't turn them off. You can't turn them on. It's just functioning. George Gallup, I love this stat. He's a famous statistician. I love this quote. He says, I could prove God statistically. Take the human body alone. The chance of, of that all functions of the individual would just happen as a statistical monstrosity. And I'll even uh, quote Charles Darwin. He said, to suppose that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I fairly confess, absurd to the highest degree. You were created on purpose. Okay? I want you to know that. I want you to hear that. And you start thinking... If you weren't created on purpose and your nose was upside down or your ears were backwards, could you imagine a rainstorm, what a nightmare that would be? Your nose would fill with water, your ears would be full of water, showers would be horrible. So you were created on purpose. One more random keep you awake at night thought and then I will go into uh, what I plan on talking about. And I'll tell you why I'm telling you all this as well. So here's this. <clears throat> How is it that a brown cow eats green grass, which turns into white milk, then yellow butter, 
which is eaten by a man who grows red hair and has blue eyes. <laughs> Just think for a second. How in the world do grass clippings become milk, and then you stir them up a little bit and you get cheese and butter? Could you imagine if, if you could invent a machine that could turn grass, your lawnmower, grass clippings into milk? You would make millions. And that's what a cow does. Is she smarter than you? No. Which is how God created her. And I'll, if, look, if you invent that, I got a name for it. You can call it the lawnmower. Okay? <laughs> you got me? Cut me in. Look, here's my point. God the creator is amazing. Period. It's amazing. It blows my mind every time I try to comprehend something. Did you know that the same God that makes all that stuff happen created you in his image? Can you believe it? He loves you and he wants you to know him. Creation reflects the genius of the creator. Everywhere you look, we're reminded of God's creativity, his love for you, how it all functions and works. And today I'm going to teach you an easy way to share the gospel so you can introduce people to that creator. Uh, this gospel presentation, like I said, has four symbols, four phrases. We'll put them all up on there. They're in your worship guide. Uh, this is the same presentation when Trevor said, hey, I want, you to, uh, I want you to preach the last Sunday of the year, whatever you want to talk about. And this was on my mind. Um, one, I wanted to be completely ready if anyone ever asked me what the gospel is. I want to share the gospel with more people in 2024. So with that thought and helping with the basketball, the kids' basketball program, and I wanted to be really on purpose with the kids' basketball, train all the coaches how to present the gospel, and so we ended up with this method. So they're all, all the coaches are trained, all the halftime devotionals for our kids' basketball, very outreach-centric. The kids will be memorizing these verses, absolutely love it. Teenagers have been trained in this way. Uh, and I love the idea, you can just point to a picture on your wrist. There's bracelets that come with these, by the way, if I... If I Forget, we have them in the lobby. You're welcome to them. Some of you already snuck them early. Uh, you, can, you can have them till they're gone. There was 100. The first service got a lot of them. Um, if, you, if this is captivating, you say, I want to do this, by all means, use them. They don't do us any good here. Um, it helps you guide through the gospel. It helps you stay focused and concentrated. And I like that it's, it can be so quick, and I'll share that with you. I'll go through it real quick with you. It can be really quick, or you can sit down across a restaurant with a friend and really dive down and take your time with it. Kind of like you're going to see today as I'm preaching through this content, you know, you can, you can take your time with it and enjoy it. So it should be in your worship guide. If you want to follow along, I'm going to go over it with you. The first symbol is a heart. And the phrase is, God loves you. And, and here's what it's talking about. God created you in his image, unique from anything else in creation. He is real, and he wants you to know him. And then we go to the divided sign. Sin separates you. Not trusting God and, ign and ignoring his ways is called sin in the Bible. And sin damages relationships with people. It damages relationships with God. And sin leads to eternal death. But the cross, Jesus rescues you. At the cross, Jesus took your place and paid the penalty that your sins deserved. He secured eternal life by conquering death through the resurrection. And finally, the question mark, the big question, what are you going to do about that? Will you trust Jesus? And this involves agreeing that you're sinful, turning away from your wrong view of Jesus, believe and confess that Jesus is Lord and surrendering your life to him. That's the four gospel presentation. Easy, clear, 
very uh, systematic. I love it. I love the idea also that it syncs up with our four more culture at the church, if you're not familiar with that. Basically, everyone uh, in our church is praying for four people, very specific people. They're people that live within driving distance of our church. We're praying for them that they will know God. We're praying that one day when we're in heaven, we get to see them in heaven. Uh, we're praying for their salvation. We're praying for opportunities to share the gospel and bring them to church. That's our four more. Um, and so uh, I want to tell you, uh, like I said, you can get one of these out there, but I got to warn you, if you wear one of these, someone's going to ask you about it. Um, so you got to be ready and, and you got to take the challenge. And say, I'm, okay, I'll go through it. If someone randomly asks me, I will go through the gospel with them. And I ask God to just hey, put someone in my path, put someone in my path. Um, I want to tell you about Drew's story. Um, when we were talking, we submitted some stuff from the Freedom Conference. Drew and Rachel, if you don't know them, they're fantastic new members of the church. Get to know them. I promise you won't be uh, disappointed. It'll be a blessing. Here's what, here's what he said. He said, uh, I was, it was after the Freedom Conference, I had a gentleman stop me in Home Depot. He saw the four bracelet. He asked if he could talk to me for a little bit. I'm tell, it's going to happen. God will give you people in your life randomly. He told me that he was having troubles at home with his marriage, told me about a past relationship and things his past uh, he was not proud of. Everything I learned from the Freedom Conference came to my mind, and I told him to pray for his soul ties from the past relationships to be broken and to move on from them. Pray that the things in his past will not be a burden on him and his family anymore, that his anxiety goes away and that he and his wife will be happy and not speak of divorce. He had a lot of built-up tension that he was getting off his chest and a person he doesn't know, uh, who, but he knew he believed in God in Home Depot. And he was telling all this stuff to the, a, guy in Home De a random guy in Home Depot. Um, and he just trusted him with all his information. He said, I was able to speak clearly to him about the Lord. We talked for about 30 minutes in Home Depot and had a prayer, a little prayer service in the Home Depot aisle, Lumber Isle is where I'm picturing it. He said he already felt better and, and with the advice that uh, Drew had given him and he was going to go home and tell his wife everything. Here's the point. Here's why I want to share that story with you. You don't know. God, someone's going to come in your path. If you ask God, send me someone in my path, I'll, I'll promise God I'll share the gospel with him. It's going to be maybe not at the greatest time in the world, but hey, pause and say, God, you know what? This is what you want from me. I'm going to hear him out. I'm going to share the gospel with him. you got to be ready, right? In season, in season and out of season. Here's how it starts. The heart, God loves you. God created you in his image. Hum, humans are unique from anything else in creation. He is real and wants you to know him. Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, human life was created in the image of God. And this image was imparted only to humans. Nothing else in creation gets this image. Uh, image is figuratively here, by the way. It, it doesn't mean that God has a human form or looks like us by any means. But being in God's image means that humans share, though imperfectly, in God's nature. Um, these are things like his communicable attributes is what it's called. It's um, uh, life, personality, truth, wisdom, love, holiness, justice, and so, therefore, because we share in these things, we can have this, um, this spiritual fellowship with the Creator. All right, We are unique. He's created us like Him in His image. And we can have this fellowship with God the Creator. Humans are created unique apart from any creation. We are called image bearers. Uh, now, this creatively uh, brilliant, 
force that made all things is not only infinitely more intelligent than those he created, but he's familiar with those he created. Not only did he create uh, the 100,000 hairs on the average non-bald head, but he knows each one of them, the Bible says. He knows. Because God loves you, and he created you in his image, unique from anything else in creation, and he's real and he wants to know you. The next verse is John 3.16. And and John 3.16, it's like if if it wasn't enough for us to be created in God's image and to look through the vastness of creation and the mind-blowingness of it, God comes and still demonstrates his love in a very unique way. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the most well-known, famous verse. If someone knows one Bible verse, it's probably this Bible verse. But I wanted to focus on one word in this one verse, and that word is so. And I want us to remember that God's love is is chiefly displayed through the death of Jesus Christ. The word so, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. That word so is um, like a hinge on that verse. It can be understand one, it can be understood two different ways. First, it could mean that God really, really loves you. God so loves the world. He so loves you. It's like when you ask a kid, how big was it? It was so big, right? Or the word so could refer to the demonstration of God's love. And I think this is, um, it's a little clearer in some of the other verses. If you look at another, another translation, like the CSB and the NLT in particular, I think really nail it home with this. The CSB says, for God loved the world in this way he gave his one and only son. And the NLT says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. Jesus' death demonstrates God's love. It doesn't diminish the intensity but it shows us his love was demonstrated in a very real and very tangible way. For God loved the world. In this way, he gave his son. And the proof of God's love is that he acted on it. How do you know if someone loves you? Right? They could say those three magical words, I love you. And the first time someone whispers that in your ear, man, you're... Your heart pounds out of your chest. Your, your uh, you know, hair stands up on your uh, arms, and you're thinking, man, this is great. But what if that was it? Just saying, I love you, and you say it again and again and again, and it kind of loses its oomph. But those words are not the only reason that we know someone loves us. In fact, they're probably not even the main reason we know someone loves us. At a dinner uh, we have, you know, try to have family conversations where we're eating and all that good stuff. And uh, I remember one in particular when my wife asked my boys, uh, how do you know daddy loves you? And uh, not a single one of them said because he says so. And I tell them twice a day. When I leave for work, hey guys, I love you. And when I, you know, say goodnight, hey guys, goodnight, I love you, right? Not a single one of them. Here's what they said. Well, you know, he plays video games with us. He, he bought me this, and he did this for me, and we took us there. It's all these demonstrations, right? Spends time with me. And my little girl is the most expressive of her love. And so, 
she feels loved all the time and she makes sure that we know it. And, but it's always like when we're having family time, we're watching a movie and she's just like, oh, this quality time. And she has to like come up and interrupt me during the movie. Daddy. I was like, yeah, baby, what's wrong? Oh, I love you. I was like, oh, okay, I love you too. It's back to the movie here. It's kind of an important part. No, I don't. I, I love it, and I, it means a lot to me. It, it melts my heart every time. Or like, I'll leave, well, I go to Wendy's, and I'll buy her a cheeseburger, and she's like, oh, Daddy, I love you. I was like, this is a good cheeseburger, huh, babe? <laughs> she is so stinging expressive. I love it. God's love for the world is remarkable, not because of how big it is. Don't miss this, because, but because how bad it is. God's love is remarkable, not because how big the world is, but how bad it is. We did not deserve his love. We did not earn his love. We were rebels against God. Yet God still gave us this gift of his son. God loved the world in this way. God's righteousness was displayed on the cross. God's wrath was displayed on the cross. God's jealousy was displayed on the cross. And God's love was displayed on the cross. And his holiness and his hatred for sin were seen in the severity of the punishment. And when Jesus took upon himself the punishment that our sins demanded, he testified to the world that God is absolutely and unquestionably righteous. And so let's never doubt the love of God. You were not on that cross. God's own son hung there. You did not pay that terrible price. Jesus did in your place. God loves you. He created you in His image, unique from anything else in creation. He is real and wants you to know Him. And then we get to the divided symbol. Sin separates you. Because not trusting God and ignoring His ways is called sin in the Bible. And sin damages relationships with people, and it damages our relationship with God. And sin leads to eternal death. Romans 3.23, one of my favorite verses that I, I love to quote because it's a constant reminder of how we should be func functioning and acting. It's, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person has fallen short of the glory of God. And you know what? Compared to other people, you might be doing pretty good, but you are not asked to compare yourself to other people. You're asked to compare yourself to God's standards. It's, that's the plumb line. God is the plumb line. And He even gave us these 10 laws. He said, I'm going to make it real simple for you. Here's 10 laws. I want you to obey these. And dag nabbit, if we just can't even do that. We just keep, ever since the first human step, Adam stepped foot on this earth, he missed the mark. And it's been ever since. Missing the mark, missing the mark. I thought it would be helpful to do an experiment. I wanted to share a list of sins that you probably don't think are sins, Okay. Bear with me, I'm just the messenger. This is in the Bible. Or these are sins that maybe we try to um, justify, right? I'm sure you've had arguments with yourself. You kind of try to justify these things. Because here's what I want. I want you to feel how easy it is to constantly fall short of the standard of our loving creator. Uh, and here's what this exercise is going to do. Either it's going to convict you and urge you to salvation or it is going to cause your heart to soar and say, oh my goodness, God is so forgiving and so loving. I want to praise and worship him even more. Or you're going to ignore me and say, meh, it's fine. I forgive you. Look, I'm not going to read the big obvious sins, okay? 
Because we might miss the point of this verse if I did that. I don't want us to miss the point of this verse. Here's the list of how, the ways we fall short and tend to justify it. I've got some Bible verses too. Don't read ahead. Holding grudges. Justifying wrong attitudes. Putting your desires first before God. Feeling annoyed over the success of others. Getting hurt easily and reacting out of the hurt. Underpaying or taking advantage of others' work. Skimping on the work you are being paid to do. Criticizing and finding fault secretly or outwardly. Focusing on the cares of the world, putting your full attention and trust in the things of the world like money, power, possessions, and image. Gossiping or speaking unkindly of those not present. Are you still with me? We're okay? Just the messenger. Uh, those are sins that we tend to justify, and we miss the mark, and miss the mark. Hey, look, we're not just a little naughty. We're not just a little mischievous. We have fallen way short of the glory of God. And this is why we need God's saving righteousness. Now, here's what I don't want you to hear. I want you to understand this. Following the rules cannot save you. Just because you, 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 maybe you think, oh, no, I'm, I'm all fine with all of that. That's not where salvation comes from. In fact, the spirit of legalism crushes people. It doesn't liberate them. It's a false gospel. Following any set of rules as a means to gain salvation is not the gospel. I still hear preached uh, Jesus plus something all the time. People are still preaching this. Jesus plus, Jesus plus. I love this quote from Mike Bird. It's, it, it, it's, it's a provocative quote here. In my short time as a follower of Jesus, I've had people tell me that in order to be saved, I need to speak in tongues, partake in some sacrament, only read the King James Bible. Subscribe to a certain confession. Believe in this diagram of the end times. Jump through a dozen other hoops that seem to serve the purpose of validating the rantings of some lunatic with an opinion and a desperate desire to force it onto others. Fortunately for me, I have been well discipled by Christian leaders in attend churches where the pastors were committed to biblical preaching, so I never got suckered into the Jesus plus stairway to salvation, but sadly, many do. And I praise God today that we are surrounded by godly men, elders leading the church and making sure that it's not Jesus plus works, it's Jesus. And God loves you. He created you in his image, unique from Anything else in creation, he is real and wants you to know him, but sin separates you because not trusting God and ignoring his ways is called sin in the Bible, and sin damages relationships with people and God. Sin leads to eternal death, and finally we get to the cross. Jesus rescues you. At the cross, Jesus took your place and paid the penalty that your sins deserved. He secured eternal life by conquering death through the resurrection. Our God is not distant or remote. He did not spin the world uh, off into the distance and say, good luck, everyone. His love um, and, and personality, and he is fully involved in redemption. In the book of Romans, Paul um, gives us two truths regarding the greatness of God's love as it's uh, displayed on the cross. I'm going to give you both of those, okay? The first one is uh, the greatness of God's love is displayed in the cost of it. We've talked about this a lot this morning. 
Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love was not a sentimental kind of love. <clears throat> God did not merely, merely say that He loved sinners, but He acted on their behalf by putting Christ in their place, and Jesus willingly gave Himself up, paying a price that we will never fully comprehend. Get your mind wandering off on that. That you have Jesus who left earth, who left heaven to earth, and He would live this sinless life. He would be betrayed. He would be abandoned. He would be tortured. And He would endure the Father's wrath in place of those who do not deserve it. What? Genuine love is always sacrificial. Second, the greatness of God's love is displayed in our unworthiness of it. it Romans 5, 6, and 8 says this. <coughs> for when we were still sinners without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You were unable to save yourself. You were helpless. But at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not only were we ungodly, but verse 8 says that we were sinners. And then go on to verse 9 and 10. It reminds us we were actually enemies of God. God's love is uncommon. It, it, it is, there is no earthly object lesson that I can point to that, say, that says this is like God's love. And here's what I mean by this. Maybe you would take a bullet for a national hero, sacrifice yourself for a national hero. You're not going to do it for a serial killer. You won't do it for an enemy. You won't sacrifice yourself for your enemy. But Christ died for his enemies, for people who did not deserve to be saved, sinners who have been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, know a love like no other. God's love for you is displayed in creation and on the cross through Christ. Sin has divided you from God. Sin enters the world. Adam was kicked out of the garden. Death comes screaming into humanity as the first murder was committed by Cain. And in God's perfect plan, Jesus becomes our rescuer, paying the penalty of death that we owed God. What will you do with this information? What now? That's the final uh, image is a question mark. Will you trust Jesus? This involves agreeing that you're sinful, turning away from that wrong view you have about Jesus. Oh, he's just a teacher. Oh, he was a good man. Turning away from that. Believe and confess that Jesus is Lord and surrender your life to him. And I'll tell you what, it's incredible. Listen to John 1.12 as we finish up. It says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name from enemies to children. Because when we change our mind about who Jesus is and He rescues us, we become children of God, adopted into God's family. We who were dead in our trespasses and sin, His enemies are now brought into the family of God and our lives are radically altered by our position in the family of God. We no longer have to fear the future because we're going to the Father's house. 
We can stop worrying about whether our needs on this earth will be met because our Father gives good gifts. We don't need to be anxious about our 401k and retirement because we recognize that our inheritance is not in earthly banks, but in the heavenly realm. And our hope and our expectation is not in this world because someday as children of the King Church, we will, the Bible says in Matthew, shine like the sun in our Father's kingdom. I don't know what all that means, but it's going to be cool. Would you, are you going to reject Jesus or are you going to receive him? That's the question. That's how you finish the gospel presentation. What will you do with Jesus? Well, I have a couple things for you after hearing this information. One, hey, if you're a believer, who are you praying for? Who are you asking God to save? Look, we have a special place on this prayer card that says, I'm praying for the salvation of. Fill that up every week. Who are you praying for? And when God saves someone, praise the Lord. Let us know and add someone else to the list. Keep going. Keep going. Or maybe you're like me and want to do a, a, near, a New Year's resolution. And you're thinking, hey, if God sends me someone, now he has to make it real obvious. I'm a big knucklehead, okay? I'm naive as it gets. God, make it obvious. Pour someone in my lap. Make them point at the bracelet. Do something. Have someone come to me and say, can you tell me about Jesus? Absolutely. Okay, I need that. Hey, if you're like me and you want to share Jesus with more people this year as your New Year's resolution, there's a blank spot. What's next for me at the bottom? Just check that and write that in there. And I want to be available to God's use. I want God to use me. I want to tell people about Jesus this year. Maybe you're still questioning God. What, what should you do? If you're in here thinking, yeah, I haven't gotten right with uh, Jesus yet. I, eh, that gospel sounds good. What, let's settle that today. That's your next step. You figure out in your mind, if you're teeter-tottering, you either figure out you're all in or you're all out, okay? The best way to do that is to mark on this card, trust Jesus for the first time or I'm ready to be baptized, depending on what you want. We'll get you in contact with someone from our team that loves to sit down on a Sunday morning and back in the office and just ask questions, let you ask questions. Let's just nail this out. And if you're thinking, I don't want to wait another day and I don't blame you, we're going to have the prayer team up here. We got staff. And we would love to talk to you the gospel about you. Let's go into 2024, believe in Jesus for big things, believe in God that he's going to save more people than he did 2023 in this church, and I'll tell you what, I want to be a big part of it, and I want you to be a big part of it too. So let's pray, and then Randy will close us out. And we get to see a baptism. Super excited about that. Father, we are grateful in Jesus' name for the gospel. And Father, I pray that we would just embrace it, and God, we repent, repent of any time that we did not take the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, God. We are not ashamed of the gospel. God, we want to tell people about you and your, your kingdom and, and your freedom that you offer, God. And Father, we just want to take people to heaven with us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jacob. And my soul was just soaring about hearing the, the free grace of God in Jesus Christ and the salvation that he uh, gives uh, to sinners. That was amazing. Thank you, Jacob. Um, so we have one more last opportunity to joyfully give to the Lord in 2023. Um, and that's, uh, he loves it when we joyfully give. You know that, don't you? And, uh, you know, one of the many things that our giving does is it, is it provides the church an opportunity to offer um, different special uh, meetings and conferences. We recently had one. Uh, it was called the Freedom Conference. Many of you uh, came to that. And, uh, you know, Jesus says he came to set his people free from sins and from hell and from death, but from our sins. And uh, so 
eventually we'll be saved from the very presence of sin, and, it's, and we're being saved by, from its power now. But um, I'm going to, uh, before we receive an offering, the point of tying this into the offering is it costs money to put on a conference. You, you have materials that have to be printed. You have uh, food that's provided and things like that. But um, that's part of what you're what your giving does. And so part of the reason is that we want to build up the body of Christ and, and our confidence in him and in the gospel. And uh, so I'm going to read uh, one testimony from the Freedom Conference, uh, and then the guys will come forward. And then while it's being passed out, I'm going to read another one. The first service only got one. Y'all get a bonus one. So y'all understand this in a second. Um, so we sent out some questionnaires about what did this conference mean to you? And uh, I didn't ask anybody's permission, so I can't read their names. But Kelly Key said I could use her name after, I, after the first service. So, so this was Kelly. So, so was, tell, us, tell us about a God moment from the Freedom Conference. Trevor and Angie prayed over me at the end of the conference, and I was delivered from the spirit of anger that had held me captive for the past several years. I have been set free and experienced worship like I haven't in a long time this morning. I literally felt the spirit of anger leave my body and it has been replaced with joy with, with the joy and peace of Christ. That's worth attending, wasn't it? Uh, what has been the most powerful truth you've learned through the freedom material? How important it is to be honest before God. He, I mean, he knows everything you're thinking anyway, right? And lay everything at his feet and leave it there. It took cleansing myself of things from my past to get me to the point where I could receive his healing. Um, what would the Lord teach you? That he has never given up on me or left me, even when I felt that, like I couldn't connect with him. He has freed me, brought me back to himself. That's one. So I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, you guys come up. And then when y'all are handing that out, I'm going to read another one. Okay? Father, you have spoken the truth that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Lord, as we give, uh, we are expressing faith that you can take things and multiply it. Uh, you can grow your kingdom through our giving. Uh, we get to be a part of that. We get to participate in that. In the building up of your church, your body, that we grow in our faith, even as we experience this morning a great strengthening of our hearts and confidence in the gospel because of what Jacob shared with us. Your word is alive and powerful. Uh, so thank you, God, uh, for this opportunity to give again uh, to, the, to the ministry here and to the furtherance of the gospel of our King Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. So here's another one. Let's see here. Um, Tell us about a God moment from the Freedom Conference. God showed me that I had allowed the lies of the enemy to use shame, listen to this, to use shame to control all the areas of my life. This had been going on for about 10 years, but God set me free during this session. So what's been the most powerful truth you have learned through the freedom? I'm free. <laughs> okay. Uh, what did the Lord teach you during the conference? that I need to do everything I can to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of hurting people that I can possibly help uh, as I'm walking in the Spirit, that kind of thing. Another one real quick, since they're not done. Uh, I felt the Holy Spirit while praying for several women. You notice that all of these have in common is so God did something for me while people were praying for me. That's, that's, that's a key. I realized that a deep hurt that I had was rejection, and I didn't realize how it had affected my life. God freed me from that hurt, and I was able to replace it with the truth that he holds me dear, holds me close. What was a powerful truth you learned? How to discern the enemy's lies and replace them with the truth. <laughs> it's powerful. Um, and then somebody mentions uh, 
one of the things that they took away was that the power of corporate prayer is real. Um, so anyway, they're done, so I'm done. And uh, I think Don is going to introduce a new member and baptize somebody. Was that for Randy leaving or me arriving? I'm not sure. Well, good morning. My name is Don McKenzie, and it is my privilege this morning to be able to um, present to the church an adoption and a baptism. So help me welcome to the stage Kevin and Jerry Ryder. Don't step on that. I'll come stand right over here. Here we go. All right. Well, this is Kevin and Jerry Ryder. <clears throat> and uh, Jerry, I'm going to start with you because uh, we're going to end up going over and baptizing you. So what's interesting is uh, Jerry and Kevin uh, used to be members of GCC sometime back. They moved out of town and were gone for way too long, and now they're back. And... Uh, a lot of things have happened since then. And I want to read uh, Jerry's testimony on March. The, and, you know, I kind of edit these things a little bit and just, so you know. On March 17, 2013, that was some ten and a half years ago, uh, Jerry was baptized right here at Great Commission Church, confessing her faith that she believed that Jesus had died for me. That was when... You had concluded that although in your past, prior to that, you had believed in the Lord Jesus, you really hadn't followed after him, and you said you really didn't grasp the depth of the sacrifice of Jesus dying on the cross to pay for your sins, and that you came to believe uh, back in 2013 that he had done that for you, and that's why you were, you were baptized here. And I made a note here that as you've been... Uh, having a front row seat watching the Lord uh, work on your husband, he was also working on you, uh, Jerry, and um, used your daughter uh, Jordan and some members of our church to encourage you that you needed to just walk more aggressively with the Lord and that you needed to uh, spend more time in his word and seek him more seriously, and so you actually started doing that and that your heart just began to... Uh, he revived and sore, and uh, he gave you kind of a, a huge refreshment course, and that you're excited to be here today, and that you want to be a member of Great Commission Church. Is is that is that your testimony? Well, I want to ask you in front of everyone, um, uh, Jerry, is it your testimony that you understand that Jesus is the Savior and the Lord, and that you're trusting Him alone for eternal life? Yes. Is that true? Well, then we would like to present to uh, the members of Great Commission Church, Jerry uh, Ryder, to be adopted into our family as a professing uh, Christian. And if you are happy to receive her back into our fellowship, would you raise your hand and say, Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, Jerry, I would like for you to sign right here our membership covenant. Jerry, you were almost the last member of 2000, 
23. But right now, you're our newest member, but that's not going to that's not going to last long. <laughs> before uh, Kevin, step up here a little bit closer. Before we uh, proceed with Kevin, if if you're here today because you were invited and you wanted to see uh, Kevin and Jerry uh, be baptized, would you just raise your hand so that we know that you're here as guests over here? Let's let's thank them for being here today. Thank you so much for for being here. I know it means a lot to them. I hope it means a lot to you as well. All right, well, Kevin, you have a, an interesting story because you also used to be a member of Great Commission Church. And you say, I was brought up in the Nazarene Church, but as a teenager, I started attending a Baptist church, and it was there that I came to believe that Jesus had died for my sins. And in 19, I'm assuming that's 1977, right? I was baptized. <laughs> After about three years, I stopped going to church, and even though I still considered myself a believer, I didn't attend church on a regular basis again until 2011 when we started attending GCC, and then I later joined the church. And I would say from, from that point, I was active in church, but in my heart, I was lukewarm at best. Uh, we moved out of town for a while. We're now back. We begin attending GCC again, and I've been thinking about my relationship with the Lord and something started happening to me and I suddenly became more interested in the Lord Jesus and thinking about him dying for me created a new inner urge to have a more personal relationship with him. I was confused but felt this was so different than anything in my past and I concluded that the Lord was truly saving me and I joyfully want to honor Jesus by confessing him as my Lord and being baptized in his name. So is this your testimony that you think that the uh, Lord Jesus has given you a, a faith in him to have died for your sins and that you believe by this faith that you have eternal life? It is, yes. Well, uh, the way uh, Kevin is going to become a member of Great Commission Church is through water baptism. When he comes up out of the water, he'll be one of us. <laughs> And so, Kevin, if you'll sign our membership covenant right here, then we'll walk you over and we will baptize you. All right, let's head right over here. Devin Campbell is going to help me baptize you. All right, are you ready to step in? Okay. Kevin, I want to say to you that we've had lunches, we've had talks. Um, I have so many pleasant memories uh, interacting with you, and I have seen um, people have religious experiences and even good positive religious experiences, but those are different than saving encounters with the living God who reaches down and changes your affections for him. And suddenly he becomes important and real, and I've seen that enthusiasm all over you, and I can't tell you the joy it brings to my heart, uh, not nearly like I've seen it happen in your heart. And so with incredible joy and happiness, my brother in the Lord, I am going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Sorry, Paul. Well, hey, everyone. Um, my name is Jason Russell. I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, if the prayer ministry team could come forward. Um, I just want to thank everyone for coming today. I have a few announcements before we dismiss. Uh, the first one we have is we have our 29 Days of Promise coming up. We mentioned this earlier. Uh, we've got First Wednesday. This Wednesday, you're going to get your booklet for that. Uh, also, we've got uh, the GCC basketball uh, season officially begins January 6th. Amen, somebody, right? And then uh, finally, we've got Financial Peace University. It's something we offer. Uh, that's going to be starting back up January 10th. Uh, if this is your first time at GCC, welcome again. Uh, I would invite you to, to stop by the, the New Here kiosk. We've got a little gift for you. And so I hope everybody had a great Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful New Year. You are dismissed.